0: This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now it's 30th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. I'm Jack D. Rad. With me is co-host Chris T. Chris, so good to see you.
1: You as well, Jack. Hope things are going well in uh, rainy L.A. today.
0: Ah, crazy rain, but what are you going to do? Let's hit some news here, because uh, there's a lot of automotive news to talk about. Stellantis, who, of course, are the owners of Jeep, Ram, Truck, Dodge, Chrysler brands, among others. They're trying to stave off rumors that it will merge with uh, France-based Renault. Of course, they kind of have a European, Stellantis is essentially European-based too, with a lot of French ties. We'll have to see what happens on that, but uh, we'll tell you more about the whole implications coming up and why there are probably some frowns in the halls of Stellantis these days. In fact, in fact uh, speaking of frowns, uh, Ford is facing disruptions of uh, production of F-150 and F-150 Lightning pickup trucks. It's probably not too sad about the disruption of the Lightning uh, production, but uh, that's happening. And at the same time, Toyota has been not been bullish about electric vehicles, but it's just announced a giant new production facility for EVs to be based in Kentucky. We're also sad to report the imminent demise of yet another legendary vehicle, We'll tell you what it is, when it goes away, coming up a little later in the segment. So there's a lot to talk about, right, Chris?
1: It is. Sounds like a full full plate today. Yeah.
0: Well, let's do a little business here. America on the Road is brought to you by DrivingToday.com, YourTestDriver.com, EMLancy.com, the publisher of my latest book, Dance in the Dark, and Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury. So imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today. At drivingtoday.com/autoinsurance, that's drivingtoday.com/auto-insurance. hyphen Well, as your listeners know, Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. We're having bad weather at probably both ends of the country right now. Each week, we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, and how we can save some, how you can save some money on your car. We can save some money on our cars, for that matter. And of course, we road test a couple of vehicles each week. And Chris. You are styling in a big way. I mean, something very snazzy here. Tell us about what you're going to tell us about.
1: Yeah, I drove the one hundred and fifty-five thousand dollars twenty twenty-four Mercedes AMG GLS sixty-three. Not only is that a mouthful, but it was a lot of fun to drive, and I can't wait to tell you all about it. Yeah, I can't wait to hear
0: all about it. Pretty, pretty cool stuff there. One hundred fifty-five (laughs) thousand dollars car in an auto journalist's hands. You never know what's going to happen. I'll be road testing the 2024 Mazda Mazda 3 Hatchback. had a chance to drive it during a a long bout of rainy weather here in Southern California, so we'll talk about that. This week, our special guest is Caitlin Salzman. She is a Lexus expert on the all-new Lexus GX SUV. I recently had a chance to drive the new GX, and I sat down with her to discuss the details of it. A pretty exciting vehicle, and I think a, a vehicle that uh, you probably have some affinity for, too, right, Chris?
1: Yes, it awakened my inner Lexus nerd in a very big <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah,
0: so we'll talk about that. Interesting-looking vehicle as well. Let's let's dive into this news. I mean, Stellantis is trying to quash these rumors that uh, they're going to be essentially forced into a consolidation with Renault. I mean, the French government has some holdings of both of these companies. And so it's it's not just up to the companies what happens here. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, we had a, a Fiat Chrysler merger in 2021. Um, and from that, we got Stellantis. And we're seeing, I guess, some continual consolidation of the industry here uh, as the industry is going through some pretty confusing times. I mean, what's your take on this overall thing?
1: Yeah, Stellantis could be looking at some pretty significant changes in Europe, right? Just uh, maybe last week, I think it was um, the it- the Italian government is considering taking a stake in Stellantis and forcing them or help- hopefully forcing them to get them to, to localize some more production. So uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier, the brand or the company already has a couple of brands in France and, and France, the French government owns the stake in the company. So um, who knows what's going to happen, but uh, it's going to be a maybe I don't know, bumpy, but interesting road ahead.
0: Yeah. Well, very in- interesting road. And we're going to see what happens. I mean, Dodge is in the process of kind of showing us what a new muscle car can be, <laughs> you know, with this all new uh, electric muscle car that they're, they're pushing and uh, it coming at maybe a, a very oddball time when electric vehicles are slowing and its parent company is uh, going through uh, at least growing pains or some kind of pains, maybe maybe shrinking pains more than growing pains, right?
1: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the, the car itself is kind of an anomaly. So I think that's a whole, we could talk about that a whole other, uh, for a whole other news segment. But yeah, that's a, I, I think precarious might be a good word for them right now.
0: Yeah, I like that. I'll have to use that word again and again, precarious. It, it describes my own personal condition a lot of times too. <laughs> Well, Ford has had problems producing F150s, which is a bad thing for them, and F150 Lightnings, which maybe not quite as bad a thing, although I'm sure they would like to continue producing these. I mean, I thought we were uh, past some supply tra- uh, most of the supply chain problems, but uh this has cropped up and it shut down a couple of plants, a plant in Kansas City and a, a plant in Dearborn in, in Michigan. They're probably not too sad about losing some Ford Lightning production because they had slashed their production targets for that vehicle anyway. Sales slower than expected. Uh, it's, it's been a rough go for them, hasn't it, on the EV side?
1: It is, and as you mentioned, so you know they struggled to keep up with demand of the F-150 Lightning for a long time after its launch, and then they finally caught up and kind of slingshotted past the target with too much production, maybe, and then they pulled back a little bit. But you know, I think this shows a couple of things. First of all, that you know we we say this every show almost that we have so many things to work out before EVs are ready for prime time, and also it's really hard to like right size your production. Uh, with demand, especially for an electric vehicle that is, you know, kind of untested so far.
0: Yeah, I mean, you just don't know where the demand is going to be for that. They they have sold about 20,000 Lightning pickup trucks, which that seems like a pretty big number, actually. But when you <laughs> compare them to what they're selling in terms of F-150s, which typically sells something like 500,000 plus units a year, more than half a million units, that's not all that large. So, uh, we'll have to see where that goes. Um they did sell uh, lightning sales were up fifty three percent versus twenty twenty two
1: yeah, we talk about price a lot. You know, some of those f one fifty lightning trims uh, reach a hundred thousand dollars. And so even with all the technology and the luxury that you get in those trucks, that's a very hard sell when you could get a hybrid, even a hybrid f one fifty for, you know, roundabout just a little bit over two-thirds of that amount of money. So, uh, you know, it's a hard sell for a lot of people, I'm sure. Yeah,
0: we're really seeing a a giant resurgence in interest in hybrids right now and and some more interest in plug-in hybrids as well. So we'll see where that goes. Toyota has been one of these companies that's kind of um, not been very bullish about electric vehicles, but they're about to make a $1.3 billion investment in an EV facility uh, kind of associated with its Georgetown, Kentucky plant. I mean, that's not an inconsiderable investment, right? Uh, They're going to build an all-new three-row battery electric vehicle there. I mean, what's your take on that, especially given Toyota's stance on electric vehicles?
1: Well, if they're going to sell EVs in the United States at all, they need to build them here. Otherwise, they're never going to get access to the tax credits. And so, uh, this makes sense from that standpoint, even if they're not bullish, uh, as bullish on EVs as some of the others, although they're going to pull a lot of the other automakers are pulling back their bullishness on EVs too. But, uh, you know, yeah, if you're going to do it, you got to do it right, I guess. And so, this is the best way to do that.
0: Well, it's interesting too. You make this $1.3 billion investment, and then who knows what's going to happen with the tax credits, right? I mean, By the stroke of a pen or by uh, an act of Congress, uh, which maybe is very difficult because they don't seem to be doing much in Congress whatsoever, but by an act of Congress, all those uh, tax credits could go away. I mean, they certainly changed radically uh, at the beginning of this past year in 2023. That's a a big gamble there to to invest. And you go, oh, well, you know, we could have built these in Japan. We could have built these in one factory for the entire world uh, if things change, which they frequently do, don't they?
1: Yeah, it will be interesting to see how things will change in the vehicle market here should the political spectrum or pendulum or whatever you want to call it shift back to the other side. Uh, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. EVs are a uniquely political Vehicle, uh, we, you know, you don't see the same sort of thing about you know mid-sized sedans with regular gas engines in them. So uh, this conversation could look very different a year from now, I guess. So we'll have to see see how things turn out.
0: Well, we've talked about the demise of a legendary vehicle, and it is the Mini Clubman. And, uh, I think the signature thing about the Mini Clubman, of course, is its, um, rear opening doors, the way it's, it doesn't have a hatchback. It has two doors that open, kind of like a, an old Suburban or something like that, or a, a cargo style Suburban, which I think is very cool and, uh, has been the signature of this vehicle for some 55 years. It actually debuted in 1969. There was a, a long hiatus and it had a, a very colorful history that we can't detail right now, but, uh. Then we saw it come back in 2007. I always thought it was one of the the cooler of the minis. Our minis are pretty cool anyway, but uh, you know I I love those side hinged do- uh, doors at the rear. What's what's your take on the on the Clubman?
1: I do like those doors. I, I mentioned to you off the air that I'd never driven one, but I have driven you know most of the other Mini variants, and and they're kind of a niche niche project product anyway. So it's not super surprising to see them kind of pull the plug here uh, as they're getting ready to go electric. Uh, they have a bunch of new models coming out in the next. You know, year or two. So I I think it it is a shame because I like, I think minis are cool. I think, you know, the more choice of minis you have is great, but uh, not super surprising.
0: Yeah. Well, and Mini is transitioning toward uh, all electric and maybe becoming an all electric brand uh, owned by BMW. And that's kind of been their vision for Mini if there is any kind of vision for many going forward. And maybe that's (laughs) not the the best idea at this point, but uh, we will see. And when we come back, we will be seeing about two very cool vehicles, including uh, a spectacular AMG model that you were driving, and I was driving the Mazda 3. Uh, So uh, we'll talk about that when we come back. And uh, thanks so much for being with us on America on the Road. Stay with us through the break, and we'll be right back to do some road testing. Stay with us. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jack Murad back with you. And it is road test time for us. We're so appreciative that you're with us on America on the Road. And if you like the show, please pass it on to somebody else who might like the show. It's easy to do. You know, We're available as a podcast and, of course, on many radio stations across the country on the Map radio network. So let people know about us. We appreciate that. And Chris, let us know about the vehicle you were driving, an AMC model of great speed and cost,
1: yeah, I was driving the uh, 2024 Mercedes AMG GLS 63. That's a mouthful. Um, it's the top, the range-topping model of Mercedes range-topping SUV. The GLS is their flagship, just like the S-Class is their flagship sedan. Um, the normal pricing for this jack, this is a pretty steep, steep vehicle out of the box. I'm looking at the pricing for the base GLS 450 here. It's just shy of ninety thousand uh you can step up to the GLS 580. Would you get a we v- get a V8 with that? And that's 113. Mine was 155 thousand dollars plus some change for some options. And I should note that there's probably like 15 or 16 thousand dollars worth of options in there. So, uh, Mercedes, like a lot of other automakers. You can really drive the price up very high with options like massaging seats and this one had the winter package with floor mats and things so uh, a lot of things that you probably do without but you're still going to be spending deep into six figures no matter how how you trim this thing but uh, it might be worth it depending on on how you view the performance it's a twin turbocharged 4.0 liter v8 makes 603 horsepower 627 pound-feet of torque Those are supercar numbers, Jack. What do you think about that in the three-row SUV?
0: Uh, It's kind of crazy, isn't it? But I mean, that's the market we're in. And, uh, you know, how high is up, right? I mean, $155,000, expensive to you and me, but not necessarily expensive to uh, a a fairly large number of people these days. They're demanding that kind of performance. And I think a lot of people also buy the AMG trim just because it's the coolest. Maybe they're not enthusiast drivers, but... They want, quote-unquote, the best Mercedes they can get, and that's often pictured as the AMG trim.
1: I agree with that. Uh, the performance here is staggering, right? It's a nine-speed automatic transmission, all-wheel drive comes standard, zero to 60 in just over four seconds from a three-row SUV that can also tow something like 7,000 pounds. So, And the sound here, Jack, is amazing. You have, uh, I think, three different exhaust settings depending on how you have the the modes set up. Uh, and when you step on it, everybody's going to know it because it's very—it's quite loud. Um, I was mentioning how loud my GR Corolla was. This thing drowns it out completely, um, which is to be expected from a V8 engine of that size. But very impressive performance. It handles really well for a vehicle of its size. Air suspension comes standard. It's adaptive air suspension. It really does a good job at maintaining that—that that almost glass-like ride quality, while also keeping the body in control when you're moving. <laughs> I did hustle it a couple of times, and, and it's pretty impressive uh, how well it holds itself. Uh, 22-inch wheels. 23s were optional. I think the 22s on this look great. They're just very large wheels. It's, you know, I think any larger than that, you're going to be wishing you hadn't when you had to go buy tires for it. Uh, and then the uh, the exterior styling of this is, you know, the AMGs get special badging. They get the large exhaust tips on the back, so you know what you're looking at. Uh, Besides, what's the point in spending all the money if nobody else can tell that you spent all the money? Inside, mine had uh, brown and black Napa leather. That comes standard, Jack. It's actually very nice uh, leather, but it did have massaging seats, heated and ventilated front seats, heated and ventilated second row seats. Uh, I didn't check to see if the third row was heated, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was. You get a 12.3-inch touchscreen, a 12.3-inch digital gauge cluster. That is configurable. You can move uh, information around and, and show different displays. I really like how Mercedes did their new infotainment software. It's the MBUX, the Mercedes-Benz User Experience. Jack, before I go any further, what do you think of MBUX uh, compared to the other the other systems out there?
0: Well, I I think Mercedes has a a difficult situation there, right? They want to be leading edge. They want to provide more than anybody else. And by providing more than anybody else, maybe it's just too darn complicated because that's kind of my take on it. It does uh, amazing amounts of stuff, more stuff than I could imagine ever needing it to do. And thus the simple stuff maybe is a little too hard to do. I I don't know if that's kind of your take on it, but that's kind of mine.
1: I agree, and if you look at other automakers, um, this is something Lincoln has talked about, Cadillac has talked about it, simplifying the interface so that you can identify the most important features to you, place those directly in your line of sight, and kind of keep everything else out of the way. Well, Mercedes, it's just all there, right? Like you just you, you know, it's, it can be a little bit overwhelming. But uh, tons of features: wireless Apple CarPlay, wireless Android Auto. This car has a, a fragrance system that's controlled through the the infotainment system as well. And then a full package of safety gear: forward collision warning, side uh, blind spot monitoring, etc. So, Jack, you know the price is what it is. But if I had the money, I'd probably be looking at this pretty seriously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, I definitely had a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, if money is no object, and for a lot of people it is, I mean, not tons of people, but some, why not get the coolest thing? And that is undoubtedly, I think, the coolest thing in that segment. Uh, Maybe the X7 is right there, but, uh, you know. Well, I was driving a vehicle that I flat out just like. (laughs) Maybe it goes back to the time. Well, it goes probably back to my Motor Trend time. Uh, When I was at Motor Trend, one of the things that kind of influenced me to actually leave Motor Trend and and enter the world of car manufacturers uh, was the Mazda Miata. I just loved that vehicle. Uh, It was uh, a vehicle that I had as a long-term test car when I was at Motor Trend. And then I went and worked for Mazda for a while. And it was interesting. I had a lot of various Mazda cars. And this Mazda 3 has that kind of personality. It's just so much more fun to drive and just, I think, cooler than compact uh, sedans and hatchbacks that it competes with. I mean, there's a lot of good ones. The Honda Civic is a terrific vehicle. The, the Corolla is now getting better and better. And of course, you have the, the coolest Corolla of all time uh, in your household now. But I just think there's a lot to like about the Mazda 3. Uh, this was the premium package that I had. Is Fairly pricey for a a compact hatchback, $36,000. But boy, it's just stuffed with uh, cool things and uh, kind of sophisticated styling. I I really think that Mazda has kind of a premium ethos going for it or aesthetic. Uh, It just seems a cut above both from the exterior styling and the interior styling of uh, its competitors, and I like that. It's sportier. This vehicle uh, that I had had all-wheel drive. I think all the turbo-powered vehicles now have all-wheel drive, which is an advantage. The Mazda 3 comes in a lot of different editions uh, with two different powertrains, one non-turbo and one one turbocharged. Even the, uh, the non-turbo provides 191 horsepower, which is uh, pretty hot for a, a vehicle of that, uh, that ilk. And then you can get up to 250 horsepower if you're using premium gas in the turbocharged engine. What's your overall take on the, the Mazda Mazda 3?
1: You're right. They did a really good job with making it a premium upscale feeling car. And the price is a little steep, but you do get a lot for that. You get a nicer interior, you get the better handling, you get nice handling. Um, and then those those zippy engines. I think my big beef with it, my only beef might be the fact that you have to use premium fuel to get the most power out of it. But other than that, I think Mazda did a great job.
0: Yeah, I think if you just use regular gas, you, know, you still get 225, 227 horsepower is what they say, which is pretty peppy for a vehicle of, of its size. And you know, I love uh, its handy size. It's easy to park. Uh, this is a hatchback version, which I like. I mean, uh, certainly auto journalists apparently like hatchbacks more than a, the American public as a whole. But I'm a fan of hatchbacks, and uh, I think you probably are too, right?
1: Yes, I'm on my third in as many years, so uh, I can't deny my love for the hatch.
0: Yeah. Fuel economy, pretty good. I mean, uh, with the turbocharged engine, you get. a uh, Up to 31 miles per gallon on the highway. I mean, certainly there are hybrid versions of some of these compacts that are getting 50 plus uh, miles per gallon or or close to it. I I also like the interior. And I will tell you, Chris, I have come to terms with their infotainment system. In this particular vehicle, I kind of got it. One of the things I discovered was you can use it as a touchscreen. I mean, uh, the 10.2 inch display also has touchscreen screen functions, they're not necessarily obvious, but if you start touching the screen, <laughs> you can work it that way, uh, which was okay. But I also was became very comfortable with the controller, and I, I don't know whether my brain just start, uh, suddenly started to function, uh, my wife would tell you quite the opposite, but uh, I kind of got it this time. I mean, what do you think about that?
1: Well, uh, I'm not sure that the touchscreen works while the vehicle is moving. I think it can only work while you're stationary. I could be wrong about that. So yeah, you somebody, know,
0: I'm not sure. Maybe you could well be right on that. but uh, Somebody's going to call.
1: Uh, no, but I think I like the dial better than I like the touchpad that we talked about in the Acura, oh, yeah. the TLX I had a few weeks ago. My only issue is that it takes a long time. So, you know, if you have a lot of songs or radio stations, you know, where you, a simple swipe would do quite a bit, you're there like cranking on that dial, trying to go down the list of songs and things. So that might be the biggest issue with it. Otherwise it's not that non-intuitive. Like it's, it's, you figure it out pretty quickly.
0: Yes. Uh, Or at least you figure it out. With you probably pretty quickly. With me, it takes a while, but I think I actually (laughs) did it this time. This is a blast to drive. I just, I like this car all the way around. So reasonably inexpensive for this kind of performance, kind of premium inside and out. You're not gonna see yourself on every corner. As you might in a, in a Honda Civic or something like that. So I, I like it, and uh, I think very cool vehicles that we had this time around. Your vehicle probably what five times more expensive, three to, three times more expensive than <laughs> something like that, yeah, yeah, than the vehicle I was driving. But uh, a lot to like about this vehicle, priced at about thirty six, thirty seven thousand dollars. So good ones this time around. And when okay. we come back, we will have a very good guest to talk about, and talking about a vehicle that I think Chris Teague. Uh, likes a lot or will like a lot when he gets to drive one uh our special guest is caitlin salzman she is the lexus university expert on the all-new gx suv kind of transformed that vehicle pretty significantly so we'll talk with her about that when we come back so stay with us for that and we'll be right back right here on america on the road I got this letter from a reader the other day, and I thought I'd share it with you. I'm on vacation on the beach in Key Biscayne and just finished reading Dance in the Dark. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great plot and twists I never saw coming. You're really good at creating visual images. Congrats, you made my vacation all that more enjoyable. This is just the kind of feedback an author loves to hear. I'm Jack Nerad, host of America on the Road and the author of Dance in the Dark, a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many have told me that Dance in the Dark has all the realism of fatal photographs My true crime account of the famous bathing suit model murder case. That's great to hear because Dance in the Dark is filled with suspense, plot twists, and surprises, but at the same time, it's a believable story in the tradition of writers like James M. Cain, Jim Thompson, and Elroy Leonard. Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and Kindle ebook form from Amazon.com, and it's available direct from the publisher emlancy.com as well. If you have a chance, please look for it. If it makes your vacation better we'll both be happy. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Red at Amazon.com or EMLancy.com. Thanks for giving it a look. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Redd back with you, and we have a terrific guest for you. Uh, Caitlin Salzman is a Lexus College product specialist, expert on the all-new Lexus GX, which I had a chance to drive uh, a couple days ago, and uh, I'm eager to share information with uh, Caitlin. I'm sure she's got a lot more information about this vehicle than I do, but I do have some impressions, too. Number one, Caitlin, thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it.
2: Oh, Thank you, of course.
0: This is an interesting vehicle, I think. It's an all-new GX, I guess, completely uh, revised from before. Looks a lot different than it ha- did before. Um, from a, you know, 30,000-foot level, what's Lexus trying to accomplish with uh, this generation of the GX
2: yeah absolutely we are really leaning into that kind of off-road character and that ruggedness uh, and adventurousness that we know our customers desire uh, previously with the outgoing model of the GX we um, especially from a styling perspective, it was a lot softer and a lot rounder in terms of how the vehicle looked. But because we have a more robust SUV lineup now and we have vehicles like the TX that can fit kind of that family hauler need, GX can be a lot more rugged and adventurous in terms of how it looks and who it appeals to. So that's really the main goal with this new GX 550.
0: It strikes me that the previous GX was kind of the default three-row before you had the TX, and a a lot of suburban families would buy this vehicle. It has great off-road credentials, always has, but they're not necessarily off-roaders, so maybe a a little bit um, different kind of uh, take than what they really intended. It it certainly works well as a suburban hauler, but there's so much more the GX could do, and now you're kind of really capitalizing on that, aren't you?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. You said that perfectly. Um, for a long time, GX did have to fulfill that role within our lineup of appealing to people that needed three rows. We've never really had a true three-row vehicle. We had the RXL, but the, the legroom in that third row was just very uh, challenging for most. So GX did have to fulfill that space of being kind of the family hauler within our lineup. And it can still do that. It's It, it does have a very usable third row. Um, but because we have options, uh, GX can really lean into kind of that rugged capability and off-roading story so we're, we're really excited about that.
0: Let's dive into the styling of this thing I mean it is a rugged looking vehicle uh, you know kind of industrial looking in a way a transformer like in some ways uh, you know very highly styled vehicle that that kind of says toughness talk about that what you're trying to convey with the exterior styling.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, the GX has a very powerful boxy silhouette. If you look at it from the front or from the side of the vehicle, it almost looks like it was chiseled entirely from, you know, a solid block of metal. So it's meant to have a very kind of strong presence, a very solid presence. But my favorite thing about the GX design is that there was so much intentionality and thoughtfulness behind Choices that were made for both exterior and interior design with the driver in mind. So a lot of the styling stories we have with GX, although they have, uh, you know, an aesthetic benefit for how the vehicle looks, they also give a lot of functional benefit for off-roading or on-road driving as well. So, to give a couple examples, if you look, if you compare current gen versus the new GX 550, one of the things you'll notice is that the front pillar base has been pulled back quite a bit, and the belt line of the vehicle has been lowered. That gives a ton more visibility out of the um, front windshield as well as the window for the driver. So, so the windshield really
0: encourage- is more vertical, and there's the exactly. windows yeah. are bigger yeah. on exactly. the sides, right? I mean, that's what yes. you're saying to, to folks.
2: Yes, exactly. So increased visibility. And then even like the character lines on the hood, um, although they do kind of, again, contribute to that strong presence, there are bumps that are um, kind of visible on both the driver and the passenger side, and they line up exactly with the wheel, uh, placement of the vehicle so the driver can intuitively sense where the wheels are at all times. So lots of stories like that around our styling. Uh, it looks great, certainly, but there's a reason for every choice that was made with the GX.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really good to see where the corners are when you're doing off-roading and your approach and departure angles, I think, are, are quite good on this vehicle. I, I mean, t- tell our listeners why that's important when you're off-roading.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, the worst thing you can do is get caught up kind of in an obstacle or in a situation where you've misjudged your spatial awareness. Um, so we really, really studied this space to make sure that, again, all of those, those thoughtful decisions were made to increase visibility, spatial awareness um, when off-roading, and even things like the way the center console is laid out. It's a very kind of horizontal. Uh, I just made up a Horizontal. Cool, yeah. I'll have to use that. <laughs> horizontal layout so that even if you're in a side tilt-like situation, you can still intuitively understand the vehicle's posture, right? So there's no kind of curved lines on the interior of the vehicle um, so that you're constantly able to understand kind of what's what even when you're in a situation where you're on really unsteady or really uneven ground.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems like you look out the windshield across the cowl and your dashboard and the cowl level are about the same and that's really helpful for visibility and for just understanding where you are. So I understand yeah, that hundred percent. It seems like you've got kind of two flavors of this vehicle too. I mean, at least two, but, uh, you know, certainly two big ones, one totally off-road oriented, another one, you know, more your suburban uh, toter with, uh, you know, some off-road pretensions and stuff. Uh, talk a bit mm-hmm. th- about those two different versions.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, this new GX will actually be available in six grades, but to your point, it is kind of divided into two visions that we have for the vehicle. Uh, we we call it the duality story with GX in terms of, you know, it can off-road really wonderfully. We have our first ever overtrail grades. Um, those are meant to provide kind of um, off-road capability above and beyond what's offered in the rest of our grades. So those have suspension enhancements as well as additional differentials um, as well as off-road systems like multi-terrain select that the rest of our units don't offer and those are specifically purpose-built and purpose-designed for our off-roaders. Um, and then aside from our overtrail, which is kind of that true off-roading segment, we have our premium and our luxury models, premium, uh, premium, premium plus luxury and luxury plus that um, still offer kind of that refined Lexus experience and still offer um, quite a bit of capability for anyone who's wanting to experience kind of some light off-roading in a GX, um, but really meant to be more of that person who is you know, in the midlux three-row SUV segment, but doesn't necessarily need all of that off-roading technology. Um, So we think that GX can kind of do both of those things really well, be a great vehicle for, you know, commuting and going out and about um, on the town in the weekends. And that's probably going to be someone who's drawn toward the premium or the luxury models. And then for that person whose weekend activities is maybe getting out and exploring parks and off-road courses and trails, uh, the overtrail is going to be a great option for them.
0: So the premium and luxury versions are three row or uh, three row available and overtrail not so, right? Am, am I right on that?
2: Yes, that's correct. Um, premium and luxury will have three rows um, and then overtrail will only be available with a two row configuration.
0: So are the three rows six passenger or seven passenger vehicles?
2: So it depends. The standard uh, condition is going to be a bench seat, which, is, which will allow for seating up to seven passengers. So a second
0: row bench seat.
2: Yes, a second row bench seat. Excuse yeah. me, um, yeah. and then um, you can option out any premium or luxury unit for captain's chairs in the second row.
0: Got it. What's the What's the thinking behind not having a third row in the in the Overtrail version? I'm I'm kind of curious about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so we're we're really excited, like I said, about launching Overtrail, and we really want to lean into kind of credibility within this space. And so in studying the overlanding and off-roading customer, we know that they are really optimizing their cargo space um, and, and needing additional cargo space. And when we have the third row up in a vehicle like the GX, there's not a whole lot of usable cargo space. So for that guest, we thought that they would really want kind of to utilize as much cargo space as possible for their off-roading needs. Um, so at this time we only offer the overtrail in that two-row configuration.
0: Even if you had a folding thir- uh, third row in the overtrail or in any of them you would still have less luggage space than if you took that whole th- third row out correct?
2: Correct and then also you know having that third row is going to add more weight to the vehicle. Um, we, we have strong towing targets for this vehicle particularly the overtrail and so removing that third row off also helps us keep weight down a little bit which is good for that model.
0: Let's talk about the various differentials. I think you got a lot locking differentials all over the place in in the OverTrail. Talk about a bit about that.
2: Yeah, so all of our uh, GX550s will have a electronic locking center differential. So that's regardless of grade, that's the standard configuration for all. And then on our over trail models, we add a locking rear differential. And
0: uh, give our listeners some idea what the, what the benefits are to that. Uh, you know, they might not know, being not off-roaders, a lot of them.
2: Yeah. And, you know, to be honest, differentials, I learned a lot about differentials as I've worked on GX, but Essentially, when you're in a wheel slippage situation, power is going to go to the path of least resistance. So if you're in a situation where your back wheels are spinning on your vehicle and you don't have a center differential, power is going to continue to go to where those wheels are slipping and you're not going to be getting any traction. But the great thing about a differential is that it's going to ensure that there is a 50-50 power split. So with a center locking differential, 50% of your power is going to the front, and 50% is going to the rear, which is going to help you get out of that obstacle by making sure you have more traction on the uh, rear vehicles.
0: And when we come back, we'll have more from Lexus GX expert Caitlin Salzman, so stay with us. <music> Welcome back to America on the Road, with co-host, Christine, this is you with you, and let's continue our interview now with Lexus GX expert Caitlin Salzman. Let's continue with that interview right now. Let's talk a little bit about transmissions and and what's available there. Does this have, for example, does this have a transfer case, Uh, a two-speed transfer case or something like
2: that? Yes, it does have a two-speed transfer case. Um, So the two-speed transfer case is going to be fantastic. This is a full-time four-wheel drive vehicle, so the default for the vehicle is going to be a four-high. But with that two-speed transfer case, you can actually uh, turn the vehicle into four low, which is going to give us torque multiplication, which is also great for giving power to the wheels. And again, making sure we are not having you know loss of traction or wheel slippage.
0: Right. I mean, the GX is a separate body on frame vehicle. It's not a crossover. It's a more traditional SUV. Uh, give our listeners uh, the rationale for that and, and why that's uh, a positive.
2: Yeah. Well, for one thing, GX is actually the only vehicle in its segment in that mid three-row SUV suv landscape that is a body on frame Um, our biggest competitor is the land rover defender and that is actually a unibody design Um, a body on frame design is great for a vehicle like the gx that's what we would expect to see you know larger suvs and trucks built on a couple of reasons for that one it's going to give us a lot more towing capacity which as i mentioned is one of the, the important kind of targets for this vehicle it's also going to absorb any of the kind of Road vibration or off-road obstacles, as we are encountering, um, you know, rocks and moguls and things that we know are going to damage the underbody of the vehicle or the overall vehicle. In a body-on-frame vehicle, the frame is going to take all of that impact, and it's going to kind of prevent the body from distorting over time. Whereas with a unibody vehicle, the kind of entire vehicle is going to be absorbing the impact of an off-road like activity, uh, which is going to cause distortion and twisting of the body over time, which is not going to be good for things like, you know, door jams and hood gaps and all of the little kind of areas of the vehicle that we like to keep very pristine and very lined up over time. That's going to cause a lot of problems, which will then lead into quality problems.
0: Right. And you can kind of get more body isolation with a separate body on frame, right?
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: So the, well, which let's segue a little bit to the cabin, uh, because we haven't talked about interior. Of course, Lexus known for lush interiors, Uh, good-looking interiors. Uh, Tell us a bit about what our listeners can expect inside the uh, GX.
2: Yeah, well, I kind of talked about the the cabin design in terms of the center console layout being very horizontal and very straight lines, Um, but the overall design story for the interior of the GX um, is a modern, digitally-equipped vacation home tucked deep within uh, the wilderness. So I think that's kind of a fun thing to picture. It's a very specific thing that we can kind of picture in our mind's eye. Uh, and I think, you know, a lot of people experience that when they are in the GX. Um, it is a minimal interior, so um, you're not going to see a lot of high-gloss wood. Um, there are some subtle ornamentation elements. There's some metallic ornamentation throughout the cockpit area. All of the center displays and meters are wrapped in leather. Um, and there are some fun kind of honeycomb type patterns on both the um, front and passenger door panels, Um, but it is kind of a more minimal or simplistic interior. We did want to make sure that we maintain that premium, that luxury feel that, as you mentioned, Lexus is synonymous with, but also knowing this is kind of purpose-built to be an off-roader. We didn't want to create a distracting interior. We know that what's most important for the driver and the passengers is what's out the window, not um, kind of distracting things on the interior. Mm
0: -hmm. Let's talk about infotainment system. I mean, that's become crucial these days, tech and infotainment. Uh, What does GX offer
2: there? Yeah, so we have standardized our 14-inch Lexus interface, uh, which is a touchscreen display. That's going to come standard with wireless, um, Apple CarPlay, wireless, Android Auto. Um, We have a great 12-speaker audio system that is standard, as well as our um, optional Mark Levinson 21-speaker audio system, uh, which is absolutely fantastic for any kind of audiophiles out there. Uh, We also have standardized the... um, multi-information display or kind of the gauge cluster area of the vehicle to a 12.3 inch that's our largest multi-information display that we offer um that is going to be full color lcd and it's completely customizable so for all of our drivers we know customization is is important to them but particularly for an off-roader they might want kind of freedom to choose what gauges and clusters that they display in front of them uh, so they can completely customize that which we love
0: yeah makes sense uh, here's a question I ask uh, all kinds of product specialists all the time. What is a feature that you really like about the GX? What, what is a feature that you just think is cool or you know, people should know about?
2: Yeah, so one of my favorite features on uh, the GX overtrail models is our crawl control. Um, Crawl control is a fantastic system. Uh, It intuitively is going to manage engine output as well as braking uh, so that all the driver has to do is focus on steering. So there's a few systems. Crawl control is one of them and then our multi-terrain select system is another one of them that really take a lot of the guesswork out of off-roading you know, for me, I don't have an extensive history off-roading, so I've kind of been learning as I go, Um, and crawl control and multi-train select have given me, personally, the confidence to take the GX off-roading and have a lot of fun, even though my education level is not, you you know, anywhere near what some others are, so I think that, for me, I love that crawl control system, because i feel like I can just go out and have fun and take the guesswork out of it. Um, and it doesn't feel like it's too intimidating or too aspirational for someone who's not super experienced. In that.
0: Yeah. Sense. And you don't have to do a whole lot. I mean, uh, the vehicle does a lot for you and you know, it kind of cruise control at very low speeds is what it operates yeah, exactly. like. Yeah. Very, very cool. Well, when can we expect to see GX in dealerships?
2: Yeah, we are expecting the GX very, very soon in dealerships. So we don't have a firm date, but, um, Early this year is what we're saying, and we are ready to sell them. So as soon as they arrive here from Japan, we're, we're excited and we're ready, but very soon.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And give us uh, some idea of range of prices for GX. Yeah,
2: so these prices do include our delivery, processing, and handling fee. But you can expect GX to kind of start out at sixty five. Excuse me, $64,250. Um, that is for our premium model. Eighty-one thousand two hundred and fifty is for our luxury plus, so that's kind of the range that you would expect for those non-overtrail models, sixty-four two fifty to eighty-one two fifty, and then for our overtrail models, um, sixty-nine two fifty is going to be the overtrail, and 77,250 two fifty is overtrail plus. Oh, very cool! Very cool.
0: Yeah. Well, Caitlin Salzman, uh, thanks so much for telling us about the new GX. Of course. Can't wait to drive it a little more drive and do some off-roading. That'll be fun. We appreciate uh, all the information you've given us. Thanks so much.
2: All right. Thank you.
0: And that was our interview with Lexus GX expert Caitlin Salzman. Thanks to Caitlin for joining us. We appreciate her being with us. And I think we have some time for at least one listener question. So let's take that listener question. And here's a listener question. This is from Chris in Ventura, California. And uh, interesting question, I think, apropos what What's going on outside all of our windows these days, I think. Uh, this is what he says. I heard you guys give some winter driving tips the other day that had to do with snow and ice. Right now in California, we're having tons of rain. Do you have any wet weather driving tips for us?
1: Yeah, a few, though. I think my snow driving tips are probably more up to date than my rain driving tips. But I'll say this. The biggest thing you need to do is slow down. Match your vehicle speed to the you know your ability to drive in the rain. Uh, you can't always see the standing water on the road. The roads are not always, especially probably not in a place like Southern California. They're not always designed to uh, to uh, whatever the right evacuate the water properly, so you can run across standing water without seeing it. I think tires are very important too. So you're going to want to make sure that your tires are not uh, you're they're properly inflated and that they are uh, they have enough tread. And then uh, just watch out for other people, Jack. I'm going to let you give the bulk of these. But those are probably my three biggest biggest ones there. Make sure your windshield wipers are, are up to date, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, windshield wipers, visibility overall uh, really diminishes uh, in rain. So certainly having good windshield wipers that are clearing the windshield is, is very key. Sure. Tell us what's going on at yourtestdriver.com.
1: Well, Jack, I just recorded the first of several videos yesterday. We're going to start rolling out. I went to WeatherTech, sent me some floor mats to test for the Corolla, so I'm comparing those with the factory mats. As I mentioned last week, I've got some uh, Bridgestone tires that I just got put on, and we're going to compare those with uh, those things as well. So these are going to be filmed and put out on YouTube as well as an article written for the website, so it'll be linked linked back and forth. So uh, it's easy just to find it at yourtestdriver.com.
0: Yeah, well, look for that, yourtestdriver.com. On the internet, on the interweb there, check it out and see what what's going on with Chris and his cronies there. And uh, if you're on the internet, you might want to check out Amazon uh, to see one of my most recent books, which is The GR Factor, a uh, book that uh, I think Chris has read and uh, you know certainly kind of represents uh, maybe my philosophy of life. Of course, if you like America on the Road, please pass it on. We'd love to have you pass it on to somebody else who'd like it. We want to grow our our audience. We would appreciate that. And of course, it's easy to pass on various versions of America on the Road too, isn't it, Chris?
1: It absolutely is. If you head to the sportsmapradio.com website there, you can find us on the Saturday morning schedule. Uh, You can get a radio formatted version, but it would really help us out if you download one of our podcasts from uh, one of the major platforms, Apple Music, uh, Apple Podcasts, excuse me, Spotify, and the others. Leave us a review, subscribe if you like us, uh, and tell your friends. Yeah,
0: we'd love that very much. And uh, thanks to our Map Radio Network stations for carrying America on the Road. We do appreciate that very, very much. And most of all, we appreciate you listening to America on the Road. We know you have a lot of things to choose from, and the fact you've listened to us for an hour, uh, we appreciate. So join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road. <music> Inner peace, self-respect, emotional fulfillment, Are you finding these worthwhile goals difficult to achieve? Are you looking for success and satisfaction in your job but not finding it? Are you thinking about starting a business but don't know what will set it apart from all the others? You can continue to struggle on your own, or you can unleash the undeniable power of the GR Factor. I'm Jack Arnirad, host of America on the Road. For years, I've found success in business and in my personal life by using the concepts I outline clearly in my book, The GR Factor. Your best self is inside you right now, just waiting to be unleashed. Inspiring all that is the best in you, the GR Factor will guide your journey, elevate your game, recast your relationships, and transform your daily life. If you want to change your life for the better, read the GR Factor. It's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and at emlancy.com. That's the GR Factor by Jack Arne Red. Thanks for checking it out.